Thank you, choir. That ties perfectly in with what I want to say this morning about a man by the name of Jacob. We've been looking at Old Testament figures. Um, recently, we went through the New Testament, looked at the apostles, and then some other leading folks in the, in the Bible in the New Testament. But they have many in the Old Testament, too. We've looked at Abraham and Isaac. And this morning, I want to look at Jacob. And the title of the sermon is Jacob. If God can use him, then what? He can use anybody. And we're going to look at Jacob's life and, and see why that is true. Genesis 27, verses 30 through 38. There's so many passages in Genesis chapter 27 through 33, all about Jacob, but this is just one perfect example of the kind of man he was and uh, how God managed to use him in spite of himself. Genesis 27, 30 through 38. This is the story where uh, he disguises himself as his older brother Esau and steals his father's blessing that was intended for his firstborn son Esau. And Jacob disguises himself and prepares a dish and goes in and serves it to Isaac. And Isaac says, who is this? And Jacob says, it's Esau. Of course, he's lying. And, and uh, Isaac bestows the blessing on Jacob. And as we looked at last week, once blessed, it cannot be recalled. And this is what happens right after that. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled violently. Why? Because he knew he'd just been tricked by Jacob. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came? And I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. Esau heard the words of his father. He cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother Jacob came with guile and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Because he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. He said, have you not reserved a blessing from me? And Isaac answered Esau, behold, I have made him your Lord, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept because he had no further blessing to give. Jacob tricked him and stole his older brother's blessing, as he did so many things early on in life. Let's bow together. Father, as we look at this man named Jacob, which means supplanter, trickster, deceiver, and see how you could use someone like that to accomplish your purposes. Then maybe there's hope for the likes of us. <laughs> maybe you don't have to be perfect to be of service in your kingdom. And so take us and use us, Lord, sins and all. Cleanse us, forgive us, and help us be of service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a hypothetical question. 
What kind of person does God use? Anyone special? Anyone unusual? The answer is God will use anybody and everybody who makes themselves available to him to be of service in his kingdom. You might assume just without really looking that everybody God uses in the Bible is perfect, has a a spotless background, and, and God was able to do great things through them. But as we looked at the apostles in the New Testament, those other leaders in the New Testament, and some of the other things that folks have done, you see that there are no perfect people that God uses those who avail themselves of His power and open themselves up to His Spirit and lead according to His guidance. This is borne out over and over again in Scripture when God needed someone to be His spokesman and to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the face of the earth in that day because Egypt was the greatest nation. He needed someone to go to Pharaoh and be His spokesman and say, let my people go. Whom did God choose to do that? Moses. Moses had a speech impediment. And when God needed someone to stand up for Israel, when the Philistine army was gathered on the far hillside taunting and making threats to his people, the children of Israel, and they sent their great warrior Goliath out into the valley and asked Israel to send their great warrior out, whom did God send? a teenage shepherd boy with a slingshot named David. And in the first century, when the church began to grow, but but there were things creeping in and heresies, and, and God needed someone to take the church and lead it against the law and toward faith, whom did God use to lead the church through the first century and to establish many churches in that ancient world? Whom did God use? Paul, who was the greatest persecutor of the church, God used to become his greatest advocate. So a man with a speech impediment, a shepherd boy with a slingshot, a persecutor of the church, there are no perfect people that God uses. Everybody has a past, everybody has a background, and yet they make themselves available to God, and he uses them, just as he did Jacob. One of the most amazing things of all is that God chose the Jewish people to be his people and for him to be their God. I love the little limerick that says, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Ogden Nash had a comeback for that, the writer of limericks, and Ogden Nash wrote, it wasn't odd, the Jews chose God. And that's the way it always is. When you see God doing something or working through someone, you just might as well expect the unexpected. Because God is always going to move in surprising ways and he's always going to use the least likely of persons because he wants to get the glory for himself and not man to step up and say, I have done this under my own power, under my own abilities, with my own extraordinary gifts. No, God uses those who realize their their faults and their frailties and their shortcomings so that his strength might be made perfect in their weakness. Jacob's a perfect example of that. Jacob was, for lack of a better term, a scoundrel. He was a cheat. He was, as we would say today, a shady character. He robbed his older brother twice. 
Last week we looked at the first time when he was cooking up this bowl of pottage and we found out pottage is basically vegetable soup with some meat in it. Esau comes in from hunting and he is famished. He smells the soup and Jacob says, I'll give you a bowl of my soup for your birthright as the firstborn son. And Esau is not very bright. Um, bent toward instant gratification, he says, what good is a birthright if I starve to death? And so he makes a deal with Jacob, and he says, you can have my birthright, just give me something to eat. And Jacob does that, and Esau eats, and then he realized he gave up a lot more than he gained. And Jacob stole that birthright from him. And then here in this passage, we looked at this morning, Isaac has a, a blessing to bestow on his favorite son, his eldest son Esau, and he tells Esau, to go out and find some game and kill it and prepare it and bring it into him and let him have a, a delicious meal and then he will bestow his fatherly blessing upon his firstborn son Esau. Well, Rebecca hears all this. Her favorite son is Jacob. And so Rebecca goes and whispers to Jacob, I have something already cooking in the kitchen. Take that to your father, put on a hairy coat, a hairy mantle, and tell him you're Esau and get the blessing. So that's exactly what Jacob does. He takes this meal into his father Isaac. Isaac is blind. He's in bed. And he's feeling that hairy mantle that Jacob is wearing. He smells the, the game on it. And he tastes this delicious food that Jacob and Rebekah have prepared. And he says, who is this? And Jacob lies. He says, this is Esau, your eldest son. And so Isaac eats. And then he bestows the fatherly blessing on Jacob, thinking it's Esau. And as soon as Esau comes in, it's done. And that blessing, once uttered, takes on a life of its own. It cannot be recalled. It cannot be undone. It cannot be taken back. And so Esau vows. He is angry. And he vows to kill his brother Jacob. Rebekah hears this vow. And once again, she goes and warns her favorite son Jacob. And says, you need to escape. Esau is looking for you. And if he gets his hands on you, he will wring your neck. Not exactly that, but you get the idea. And so Jacob runs off to Rebekah's brother Laban's land, back to their homeland. Rebekah says, go back to my brother Laban and he will take care of you. And so Jacob escapes to the land of, it's called Paden Aram, P-A-D-A-N-A-R-A-M, Paden Aram, which is the home of Laban, Rebekah's birthplace. Because remember, Isaac's servant went and got a wife uh, Abraham's servant went and got a wife for his son uh, Isaac from his homeland. And Rebekah was that choice. Well, Laban's still there. And so Jacob goes and hides out there. And he works for Laban. And he says, why should I work for you for free? And Laban said, okay, well, take part of my herd, part of my flock. And Jacob says, okay, I'll make a deal with you. I will take the dark-colored lambs and the spotted and speckled goats. And you take all the rest. And that seems to Laban to be a fair deal. Jacob's going to take those that have lamp, that have spots and, and are spotted and dark, and Laban's going to keep the perfect ones. And then Jacob begins to take care of them. And, and through some kind of breeding process that you guys at the experiment station might understand better than I at the end of chapter 30 in Genesis, Jacob begins what's called the first example I can find in the Bible of selective breeding. He takes those speckled lambs and the dark goats and the speckled goats and he, he crossbreeds them with others. And so, and they're the stronger ones. And the weaker ones he leaves alone and he lets them interbreed. 
And so the, the speckled ones grow larger and stronger, and those that aren't speckled grow smaller and weaker. So by the time Jacob is finished, his herd is huge, and Laban's herd is small. And Laban comes and scratches his head and says, what, what has happened to my herd? Why are mine so much smaller and weaker? And, and Jacob, through his breeding process, has produced a great herd and left Laban to take what's left over. Basically, Jacob will do anything to cheat and scheme to get ahead. And yet, this is the person that God used to build the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so when you hear the Israelites called the children of Israel, it doesn't just mean the children of the nation Israel, it means the children of the man who was named Israel. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Why did God use someone like this? How could God work through Jacob? And I have some examples for you that I've kind of organized in an outline to help make sense of some of these stories. The first one is because Jacob was bold, and God needed someone bold to establish a nation. What I have seen in the Bible is that God takes energetic, bold people who are flawed, yes, who've made mistakes, yes, but he redirects them and channels them toward his purpose for his kingdom. When God was going to choose a, a leader of the apostles, he didn't use Andrew because Andrew was kind of quiet and retiring. Um, he didn't use Thomas. Thomas was the thinker, the one who had to have proof of everything. Whom did God use for his spokesman among the apostles? It was Peter, bold, brash Peter who basically shot first and took names later. Peter was the one who often spoke without thinking. He was the one who was out in front, always running ahead of everybody. And that was his personality from the start. And God just took that boldness in Peter's personality and redirected it as a leader for the apostles. When God was going to use uh, some leaders in the church, he didn't use Barnabas. Barnabas was kind of the quiet, behind-the-scenes encourager. Instead, God used Paul. Paul was brash. Paul was proud. Paul had a, a great heritage among Judaism. Paul was a great persecutor of the church, but he was bold in what he did. And God used Paul to help get the church established in the first century world. So Jacob was bold like that. He was a cheat. He was a schemer, but he was bold. And God used Jacob in that boldness to establish the Hebrew people. God, when he uses us, he does not erase our characters, our characteristics, or our personalities, our strengths, or our weaknesses. He simply redirects them and uses them for his purposes and his plans rather than our own. So Jacob was bold, and God could use that. Secondly, Jacob was willing to grow and change. He didn't stay where he was when God found him. He was a work in progress, and his character, thank goodness, developed as his life unfolded over time. Early Jacob, he was a master of instant gratification. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. He manipulated things to build a herd 
among Laban's flock for himself. But later on, Jacob grew, and he worked for 14 years for a wife named Rachel. He had changed. He would have never done that as a young man. There was another story where Jacob wrestled with an angel overnight, and the angel got tired of wrestling with Jacob and eventually touched his hip and dislocated it. And still Jacob wouldn't let go. He would not let go until the angel blessed him. And he, he grew through that, and he hung on until he got that blessing from God. And here's the lesson that I learned from that. The most important fact in a person's life whom God uses is not what they already know. It's what they're willing to learn. Let me say that again. The most important characteristic in a person's life that God uses is not what they already know. It's what they're willing to learn. Let me tell you this, as a Christian, your learning never stops. I hope you never stop growing. I love to see senior adults with their Bibles that are worn out who continue to read them and study them and, and try to incorporate them into their own lives. They've been at it a long time, but they know there's so much more to learn, so much more to learn about God, so much more to study in the Bible. And those of us who are, are younger Christians, perhaps, even younger than I, you know, you think you've got a handle on things, you think you know it all, and, and as soon as you try to sum it up, and, and as soon as you stop growing, you realize how much more there is out there, how much more there is about God that we have not even yet begun to fathom. The most important fact in a person's life that God uses is not what they already know, it's what they are willing to learn. And that's true in almost everything. There's so many illustrations I could site for this. You know, I love sports illustrations. Yogi Berra showed up at Yankee Stadium in 1947. He was the catcher for the Yankees, and he was small and slow. And when he was throwing from uh, the plate to second base, he kept hitting the pitcher. So the pitchers would have to duck and hit the ground when they saw Yogi throwing the ball towards second. But one thing Yogi did was he kept learning, he kept growing, and he ended up being most valuable player three times and set 18 World Series records because he never stopped learning, he never stopped growing, he always practiced and always developed until his, until his retirement. Jacob kept growing, and God saw that in Jacob and said, that's somebody I can use. The third and final thing is his persistence. There's so many good examples of Jacob's persistence, and the best one is the pursuit of his wife, Rachel. I would call this love at first sight because it says in Genesis 29 that the first time Jacob sees Rachel, the first time he lays his eyes on her, he throws his arm around her and he kisses her and he starts crying. Now, ladies, I don't know if, if your husband did that the first time they saw you or how you might respond. He threw his arms around her. He kissed her. Here, you, don't, you don't believe I'm telling the truth. When Jacob saw Rachel, this is 29 verse 10, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel, 
that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son and she ran and told her father. I wonder what she ran and told her father. This strange man just threw his arms around me and kissed me and started crying, Daddy, what shall I do? Laban probably said, run as fast as you can. But, but Jacob says, I want the hand of your daughter, Rachel. And so Laban says, okay, work for seven years and you can have the hand of my daughter, Rachel. And so Jacob works for Laban for seven years. And you know what happens. The wedding takes place. And the next morning, I guess when Jacob takes the veil off of his bride's face, he sees it's not Rachel, it's Leah. Rachel, the beautiful one, was whom he thought he was working for. So much so that verse 29, 20 says that those seven years seemed like only a few days. He worked for Rachel. And the next morning, it wasn't beautiful, comely Rachel. It was what the scriptures say, weak-eyed Leah. I don't know what weak-eyed means. Maybe cross-eyed, maybe far-sighted, maybe near-sighted. Maybe, I don't know, some kind of eye infection she might have had, but she was not near as pretty as Rachel. And so Jacob says, Laban, what is this you have done to me? I've worked for seven years for Rachel, and you've given me Leah. And Jacob says, oh, did I not mention to you the fact... <laughs> that uh, I have an older daughter named Leah, and how, how would it be for me to marry off my younger daughter when my older daughter is not yet married? But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Work another seven years, and you can have Rachel. Well, the first thing I would have asked Laban is, before I work another seven years for Rachel, do you have any more daughters? <laughs> Are you going to trick me? And what I love about this is that Jacob got a taste of his own medicine. He had been tricking people and deceiving people his entire life, and now it came home to roost on his own doorstep. Somebody got the better of him in a deal. And I also wondered, how did Leah and Rachel feel about this transaction? Rachel was the one who was supposed to get, be getting married, and, and on her wedding night, his fa her father says, hold on, Rachel, we're going to marry Leah tonight. So Rachel got pushed aside, and Leah, whom, who knew that Jacob wasn't working for her, gets passed off as the bride. That was an insult to both of those daughters. But Jacob worked another seven years and married Rachel and ended up with those two wonderful women as his wives. One element that is necessary in doing anything for God is persistence. The problem with most Christians is when the going gets hard, we give up. We throw in the towel. It's too hard to to live the Christian life. It's so much easier to do what everybody else is doing, just to go along with the flow, go along with the crowd. It's too hard to, to tell my friends and neighbors about Jesus. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to give up. And so we give in too soon. But not Jacob. He was persistent, and God said, I can use a man like that. Well, God needs somebody who's committed to him, to his kingdom, and who will stay with him until the end. Jacob did it again when he wrestled with that angel. You and I would have gotten tired of wrestling after a couple hours with an angel, I'm sure. Even when the angel touched the, what does it say, the hollow of his thigh and dislocated his hip, we would have given up, but not Jacob. He hung on for dear life and he said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And the angel says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. He says, your name's not Jacob anymore, it's Israel. And from you, I will bring a great people. Jacob hung on for dear life. 
and he was persistent. So he was bold and he was willing to grow and learn and he was persistent. What kind of person does God use? Well, he uses a man with a speech impediment to be a spokesperson. He uses a a shepherd boy with a slingshot to slay a giant. He uses the most ardent persecutor of the church to help establish the church in the first century. And he uses a scoundrel named Jacob to be the namesake, Israel, for his people. Oh, and by the way, he uses you and me too. You know, I love the limerick, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Ogden Nash said it wasn't odd, the Jews chose God. So I played with that this week. I wanted to write my own limerick. Are you ready? How odd of God to use even me. And odder still that he might use thee. Let's bow together. God, we think you can't do much with any of us. We aren't that talented. We aren't that smart. We aren't that dedicated. Not like the people in the Bible, or so we thought, until we looked at them in a little more detail, a little more closely, and found out that they were just human beings too. Flaws and all, and yet you still did great things. Extraordinary things through ordinary people. People like Jacob, who in his earlier days was a scoundrel and a cheat and a deceiver. And yet because of that boldness, and because of his willingness to grow and learn, and because of his dogged persistence, you did great things through him. If you can use somebody like a scoundrel like Jacob, maybe you can use the likes of us. We are without excuse. And so God, take what we are, what we have, what, what little we bring to bear. <laughs> and like the little boy with the five loaves and two fish, you take it and bless it and multiply it and do great things if it pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.